Hey, what's up? This week on the podcast, BJJ and MMA standout, and now also best-selling author, Tom DeBlast joins us. He talks about his tumultuous childhood upbringing, how you can maximize your chances in making in the ADCC at the trials, and previews the upcoming Andre Galvao and Gordon Ryan matchup. Stick around. Thanks for uh, take, taking the time, man. Your daughter's 10. I have a 10-year-old daughter, too. They're going to be 11. I have twins that are going to be uh, 11 in December, so we're, we're right in that same, that same vein. It's a fun age. Listen, buddy. God bless you, but you're fucked. <laughs> you, you got a daughter and you're having twins you know no 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 no. i've got i have twins my so i've got four kids actually i've got a 21 year old son that has the same birthday as me i have a boy and a girl 21? twin yeah 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 man 21 year old uh, how kid. old are you uh 41 oh bro you started young man i did i did i liked a vagina from a very young age <laughs> evidently not <Yeah>. condoms <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, me too. But I got a little luckier than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's. No, a... but it's it's the it's the best blessing, though, right? It's like I I never thought like that I sh that I wanted kids, like or that like I was built to have kids because I'm a fucking wild man. Like I, I I live very hard, or I have, but with my since my kids, you know, it's like uh, they give me a reason not to die, right? So yeah, they're the I... best thing ever. That's what I tell people, too, because, you know, I've known of you for many, many, many years, man, both through the Henzo community and the MMA community and then just doing due diligence and reading a bunch of articles and videos and, and watching stuff and interviews you've done. There's a lot of parallels uh, in your life and mine. Like, I, I consider myself, too, like I'm like I'm the last person that people thought other friends would have kids. But uh, I like to think that I'm a very hands on active dad because they mean so much. to oh, me. And I think part of that. 100%. Man, and I think part of it comes from like my childhood too. Cause like you had very similar situations that I did. Like I got, I tell people and I'm transparent, like I got like picked on, beat up and bullied. And that's why I got into martial arts. And like, I was like an insecure fat kid who like, you know, like I felt like I didn't have a good relationship with, um, uh, you know, male figures in my life. So like for me, I think that you kind of go two ways when you're exposed to stuff like that and you see like chaos in your life, you either gravitate towards it or you are polar opposite away from it and you realize and it looks like you've really taken a stance i'm like man it's so important because like you're so focused on your kids man and like I, and you're so transparent and i respect the shit out of that so much because i think that that's not the the cool thing to do right like it's it's not cool to be always talking about your kids and put them out there and stuff but you're so you're so active with your kids and your family man and that's so important a hundred percent the thing is with me though it is difficult because like uh my my life is uh, the people I came up with, my good friends, like the people who I vibe with the most, uh, a lot of people wouldn't understand them. You know what I mean? So while I've reached success in, in, in my field, right? I, in my field, I would say, you know, I'm a one percenter in my field. Uh, but my boys outside are one percenters in, in the shit that they do, you know? Uh, and the people who get that will get that. And, and, and the thing is, is like, uh, I don't hide who my friends are. I don't hide who I vibe with. Uh, you know, and I will say every single one of my friends, even, even though there might be some animals in that group, they're good people, man. Like they're gonna, they're good people to good people. Right. And if they're not good people to, to certain people, it's because these people don't really deserve it. And I get a lot of shit because one day I'm promoting like, peace and love and then not so much anymore because instagram will ban me like if i say anything but i used to be i used to put shit out there that was like uh 
not just peace and love, but I don't believe in turning the other cheek. I don't believe in just peace and love. And, you know, it's tough because I have kids. Not everybody agrees probably with the way I raise my kids, but I mean, you could even see the way I just interacted with my daughter. Like I treat her very much like she's 10, but the, the girl is, she's fire, man. Like she gets things, you know, and she has to, because there's a lot of men out there that are pure animals. Well, they think they're animals, you know, but they're not very smart. A lot of them. So I just know the world, you know, and, and it's important for me that my children also know the world. You know, my son is still, he's just such, has such an innocence about him. And my kids will never see or be exposed to some of the things that I have. However, they still have to learn about it, right? So I want them to have the same wit and the same know-how without having to experience the, the, the same things I have. Because I've seen some wicked shit, man. Yeah. You know, uh, and I don't want them to ever have to deal with these things. You know, that's, one of, the, that's one of the they things. They have to understand it, right? Yeah. No, for sure, man. I mean, I think that, that one of the, the most brilliant pieces of knowledge that I've ever heard or wisdom that was imparted was, like, you can't choose what happens to you in life to every degree, but you can um, choose how you react to it. And that kind of goes into your book, How You Bear It. Um, what was the catalyst for you deciding that your life needs to be in a book form? Well, I knew, like, my, my, and that book was my, like, my mother read it. She's like, thank God that you wrote the PG version, you know, because I knew my life was like, like you know, a lot of people, like, like I always say, like, a lot of people, a lot of men, you know, that they, they will say they're a certain way or they're fearless or, or they're about it, they're this and that, and, uh, or all oh, they live crazy, but like I knew my life was really like insane. And it's like any movie I've ever seen, even these these non-fictional movies or documentaries that are like very like wild, I'd be like, man, my life is crazier than all this shit, you know. And it's like they're hot. Like you don't realize when you're in it how crazy it is, but it's like the the older I grew, the more I realized like this shit wasn't normal. Man. You know, like the shit that we've, that I've been through, what I've seen, what I've seen from my father, the life that he's lived, uh, it's not normal. Like, we're just not a normal family. And, and, I, and I just realized, like, this could help people because I've suffered tremendously. I mean, man, look, you know, it, it's no stranger. Like, I, I've done this to myself, right? And, and there's more. I have scars all over my body. Uh, I'm not pretty by any means, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of pain and love and I, and I'm still okay. Like I made it, I fucking made it. Like, and I'm happy. Like I, I'm, you know, monetary wise, I'm good, but I'm also happy emotionally. And yeah, I have days where I suffer. I don't want to say suffer anymore, but tough days. Uh, but if I can make it, Anyone can make it, you know, it's like, and I just wanted to share that with people because I knew that in my story, uh, a lot of people who look at successful people, they don't realize how much they really did struggle. And we always hear about it, but I think I'm a little bit more hands-on than people. Like I interact a little bit more. Uh, I tried to do the best that I could. So I think a lot of people just, they can relate to me. They're like, Tom is just a normal dude. Yeah, he's a little fucked up. He's a little crazy. Like there's no denying that. I'm realizing that more and more, 
Like my affiliation chat last night, I just went fucking ballistic. Uh, I had some, I don't normally drink Malibu. I drink, I'm a straight vodka drinker, but I had, I started mixing by my motherfucking self, Yoohoo and Malibu, which I'm going to call the Tom Puddin. All right. And it's fucking delicious right here. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, we got some chubby instructors in this goddamn chat that I've been trying to get them to get their shit together for mad long. And it's like, when you're an instructor, you're having people pay you to lead. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect. You will hit struggles, but it's imperative that you overcome those struggles. How can you be a martial arts instructor where people come in to live a better life and to lose weight and you can't even beat a donut that's in front of you? You can't even have the discipline to beat a donut. So I said, you know what? You, and, and I will treat my students different than I will treat other owners in my association because they are the owners of the school. They're supposed to be the leader. And nowadays, everything is so soft, right? Like, we have to be so fucking careful with how we speak. But I don't think we should be careful with our peers. And if they want to be an owner, I'm, I'm not pulling punches anymore. But what I did say, I was going to, like, I started going to tell them, how the fuck? Are you going to be 50 pounds overweight and you're taking people's money, teaching them how to lose weight? And the only reason you're overweight is because you're so comfortable being overweight. I said, so you know what I'm going to do? You fucks. I'm going to starve myself this week. So this week, if I don't, I was 235 this morning. And I'm not like a pig 235. Like I'm, I'm 235. I'm thick. But like, you know, I, I'm, I could do 10 rounds in a row. Like I'm in shape. Not all these guys are. I'm going to get to 225 by next Thursday. If I don't, I'm going to give up my association. I'm not going to have my association anymore. 35 schools, they're done. I don't know who they're going to go to, but they're not going to be under me. It's only 10 pounds. It's nothing. But apparently, to some people, 10 pounds in a week is fucking hard. Why? I don't know. You just have to make a choice. You know, you have to make a goddamn choice. So when it comes to things like this, I realize my intensity level is very high. But I also realize if my intensity level wasn't high, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. And I could be too much for some people. There are a lot of people online, they fucking hate me. You know? But where are these motherfuckers face to face? Why have they not sat before me and told me what a piece of shit I am? Why have they not come in my space, walked through my doors and said, hey, Tom, I don't like you. I think you're a scumbag or I think you're bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, where are you at? You know, I am who I am and I'm, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And I, and I make mistakes daily, but like at the same time, the rough edges about me are the reasons why I'm also successful. You know, you touched on, when I think that, say that again, I was was just going to say, you, you touched on something earlier. You said your mom said that she's glad that you did the PG version of the book, but that to me is striking because you talk about things like living with a father who had addictions and going through mental struggles and even suicidal thoughts. What were some of the things that you left out of that book that you thought would be too much? Or is that like, why was that the, how did that come out as the PG version? That seems like a pretty intense version. <laughs> bro. People said, oh, PG, what the fuck was the real version? <laughs> My dad had a vicious mouth when he was, when he would drink, you know, he can be a vicious dude. Like he was a very, when he was drunk and stuff, he was, a, he was not a nice person, but when he was sober, he was like the best guy in the world. Uh, there's just a lot of 
moments that I've been in with him or that I've seen happen with my mother and him that I've had with him, that I've had with other kids uh, that were very intense words that were said, the things that were said to me, you know? Uh, So there's just a lot of things that like, I didn't want to put in because they would have judged him more harshly, you know? And uh, unless you really knew him personally, it would be hard not to judge him very harshly. And for sure, when I look at some of the things that I've been through, I don't know how they allowed me to see it. But at the same time, life happens, man. You know, and I forgive. And it just is what it is. How do you think the experiences that you had in childhood with um, getting, I mean, is it safe to say if your dad was aggressive, he was verbally abusive, and, and um, you know, getting bullied and picked on, how do you think those factors helped mold the Tom DeBlass that we see today? I'm an aggressive human, much more than people know. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and that made me that way. Like, I've, I, I've, I didn't used to be. I was just a very, like, innocent, kind person. But then when people are just fucking with you nonstop, one day you make a choice to not accept any bullshit anymore, you know? And uh, I was, like, 13 when I, when I made that choice. Was and there a specific that event that happened? Was something catalyst? No, that's what's weird. Like at like nine or ten, I, I I hit my bully with a rock in the ear and I exploded his ear. But I still was a little soft after that. But I think at like thirteen, I was like, I just kind of became a man at that age. It was weird. Uh, my mom says it too. Like I changed. Like I, I something like switched in my brain. I don't know if it was puberty or, or what happened where I started to get some testosterone. But like I made a choice. Like you're not gonna fuck with me no more. You know, and my dad was never physically abusive. He was very verbally when he would get like drunk or high. But as I got older, he started to kind of put hands on or try to put hands on a little more. And that stopped quick. You know, I allowed I I, I wasn't going to deal with that shit. And uh, he was a great man. Like, man, I miss him so much. What's, What's crazy with this podcast you know, I know I had the plot like last week. One of my best friends two days ago landed in the fucking hospital. Uh, at a, has a double pneumonia. Uh, literally almost died. He had heart failure in his left side of his heart. And uh, when he almost died, like uh, he, in his mind, people could say maybe perhaps it was a dream, whatever it was, this and that. I know what I believe. He had a conversation with my father. And the crazy shit is the shit that he told me was things that my father would only say, like that he wouldn't even know that my father would say, you know, and he was really reluctant to tell me. And, uh, you know, it, was, it hit me so hard because like I missed my, that's what I think. Like when I t- talk about the, the not so great aspects of my father, like he was still at the same time, he was the fucking man. Like, if you met him, he made you feel important. Like kind of like Henzo Gracie makes you feel important. Like my dad would just make you feel important. And and he was just a really kind soul that had demons, you know? Uh, so that's why I'm careful about everything that I say because I don't think it's fair to speak about negative events when he's not around because people aren't able to experience the actual positivity 
that he's brought as well. Like when I talk about the negative things, we're gonna get a we're gonna get a preconceived notion. But when I talk about the positive things, like when I talk about the negative things, you're gonna feel that negativity. But unfortunately, when I talk about the positive things, it's it's not as easy to feel the positivity. When I say, "Oh, my dad, mother, fuck me, he did this, he did that," people are gonna think, "Oh, that poor kid." But when I say, "Yeah, he he loved me." unconditionally and he taught me this well yeah well that's what a father's supposed to do was what people were saying but it was just a very interesting dynamic that my family and i had and and you know was it the healthiest no but i don't know what is the healthiest like i don't know what would be considered healthy nowadays because i even the people who got their shit together don't have their shit together you, you see, know, even the people who post all the time how happy they are, they're not. You said that you had an insane life and you showed some marks on your arm. Were those uh, self-inflicted cuts or were they just tattoos? I couldn't really see because you, you flashed them so quick. What were those on your left Burns. shoulder? Burns. Burns. I burned myself a lot, yeah. Did, was that uh, on accident or on purpose? No, no, no. It was on purpose. On purpose? I, 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 I branded a cross into my arm and I just... I look at it as like tattoos. A lot of people like the way tattoos felt. I liked the way burns felt, you know? Uh, it was you, just something like that. I, I branded a cross, and after I branded the cross, which I did it for like aesthetic reasons, like I just wanted to, I thought a branding looked cool. Uh, I liked it, so I just kept doing more. <laughs> it's funny that you, you, you do stuff like that, like because I talked to a friend of mine that's a psychologist, and because I had a, a friend who obviously remained nameless that would be was cutting themselves and he suffered with depression and stuff and I've had depression in the past and ADD and ups and downs of life and puberty right as you figure out who you are and it was really interesting because my my psychologist friend said that um, people that like deal with a lot of internal pain it's easier to cut themselves and deal with like those superficial or the burns or the tattoos or the cuts the external stuff um, because the internal stuff, it, it kind of masks it a little bit. It gives you a little bit of a, if I dealt with all this shit, like this is easier to deal with, you know, like the, like the cuts or the external manifestations. But um, how did you get into martial arts? I, I was younger. I was actually in track and field. And uh, I tore all the ligaments in my ankle and I couldn't participate anymore. So I found uh, fighting martial arts. I always fought like, my entire life but like i found like this one was more positive and then and then i found like we're talking about the cuts and the burns like through martial arts i could actually get the same feeling of like that suffering type feeling when when i'm training and i'm exhausted and i want to quit uh you know it's it's that superficial pain it's just physical pain you know and uh i i found a lot of that like that aggression leaving me when I would be able to feel the pain in that way. And I can tell you like at my age right now, I don't have like people that go, why do you see a therapist? And because I don't, I don't need to, like, I'm okay. Like I'm happy. Like, uh, I don't, I'm never thinking about committing suicide or anything. I never would want to leave my kids. Uh, I have you know, days where I'm pissed off or I'm like annoyed, but I'm just a happy person. But you know, I don't know if I would be this happy if I didn't experience the lows that I experienced, right? Like, I don't think you appreciate the the sun. And if you just get all sunny days, how do you appreciate the sun? You have to have some storms, right? You have to have rainy days in order to truly appreciate the sun. And 
I appreciate every day that I have because I've had so many shitty days. So now it's like, man, life is pretty good. I have two happy kids, two smiling kids, you know, two beautiful, healthy kids. And that's all that really matters in, in, in the big scheme of things. Are my kids happy? If my kids are happy, I'm happy. So you go from being a, a champion long jumper in high school into martial arts. Was your first exposure to martial arts Brazilian jiu-jitsu? No, it was it was uh, it was taekwondo. I I, uh, I I did taekwondo, but then it was it was too much uh, too like non-contact for me. Uh, I was getting like disqualified and shit. Like I did it when I was really young, and I did really well. And then I came back when I was older, after I couldn't uh, long jump anymore. And then uh, I was like, man, like. You know, just like any person, like I thought Taekwondo was the shit, you know, but it wasn't. Uh, not that it wasn't, but not for what I was looking for. And uh, then I found Jiu-Jitsu after that, you what, know. Uh, what year was that? I believe 2001. I, I believe would... 2001, yeah. And, and how did you get exposed to Jiu-Jitsu? And what were your thoughts the first time you walked into a Jiu-Jitsu classroom? Man, I got my ass whooped, and I was just very perplexed, and I was very intrigued. You know, I wanted to learn the way this little Derek Hensel. He probably doesn't even train. Well, he doesn't train anymore. He was a little guy, and he just whooped my ass. And I was like, "What the fuck?" Like I was like this really good Taekwondo. I just took second in the nationals in Arkansas in Taekwondo, and I'm like this tough guy. Well, I thought I was a tough guy. I mean, I was a tough kid, like. And with my hands, I was decent, and, like, I was just a scrappy dude. But, like, I was just getting tapped repeatedly by this kid, and I was like, man, some people that can happen to, and they can just go home and kind of act like it never happened and just lie to themselves when they look in the mirror. But for me, I was not able to look in the mirror and feel like a badass anymore. I, I, I was like, oh, wow, you have so much to learn, you know? So that's what just brought me back after – Afterwards, I think jujitsu, one of the parallels that I've seen throughout the community is almost everyone that got into jujitsu, especially guys that are our age. We grew up in that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles karate kid era. So most of us got into karate, taekwondo. We had other exposures before jujitsu. And I always thought like jujitsu was far and away the most humbling martial art. You can walk into a boxing match or a taekwondo match and you can suck at throwing hands, but there's still kind of this unspoken agreement. I'm going to be able to get hit you a little bit. Jiu-jitsu, it's almost a zero-sum game. Like you can't walk in and get lucky rear naked choke in a black belt, your first jiu-jitsu class, all things being equal. I, I will say I, I would agree with you besides boxing because I've, I've done a lot of my sparring in like Trenton and Philly. Uh, and these dudes, these pro boxers in Trenton and Philly, they are not giving you shit. And, uh, when you, for me, boxing was always the toughest thing because it's brutal and they're mean. And in jiu-jitsu, when you go with the black belt as a white belt, there's still that delusion, right? Like sometimes I can tell when I go with my students, like they think they're doing well when I'm just allowing them to do well, you know what I mean? But in boxing, like. Eh, you know you're not doing well. Like you know the person is just playing with you, and you and when they do try to, when they need to show you who they are, like in jujitsu, we could show each other who we are and whoop the person's ass, and then the person gets up and they walk away, and it's fine. And boxing, when you get that ass beat, like your head is hurting, like you're getting concussed, like it's terrible. You know, I think that's also the beauty of jujitsu. Like what you're saying is true, in the sense to where like. There's nothing lucky happening in jiu-jitsu where you 
possibly could get a lucky punch in boxing, right? But I just think that the sport as a whole is so much less brutal than other martial arts, while at the same time, if you want it to be the most brutal, it could be if you're breaking limbs and such, right? So there's just such a parallel. Uh, and th- th- there's such a different sides to, to jiu-jitsu to where, like, yeah, I mean, I think you basically find anything you want in there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think to get physically just dominated and pinned when your arms are pinned and you're pinned and you can't do nothing to someone who's like most men have no idea. Like I fool around and when I bust balls to people that don't train, I'm like, I will literally, I will take all your clothes off and you can't do anything about it. I will undress you and pin you down and you can't do a fucking thing about it. Oh no, you can't. No, no, no. Yes, I can. You know what I mean? I can like, I will pin your arms down and you can do nothing. Like, but just sit there and get undressed. And the more you fight, the easier it's going to be for me because you're just going to get tired. Have you ever, have you ever actually done that though? Anybody like, yeah, try try to get my shirt off me. I think, I think I've taken a dude's pants off fooling around. One of my buddies, uh, we're just going to edit that out of context. It's just going to be a clip of you saying, I think I took a dude's pants off once. One of my buddies, that's going to be the whole (laughs) episode. (laughs) Not, not bare ass though. But, uh, yeah, I think I did, like, it was a struggle. He was fighting very hard, but I did get him in his underwear. Just be, hey, motherfucker, like, this is what it is. Was the first time you did jiu-jitsu, did you go right to the Henzo Gracie Academy, or did you find your way to the Henzo Academy? I found it. I started this place called Tong Dragon. They're, like, a local school. They're still around. They're, like, uh, seven miles from me or something like that. Uh, Good people but it just didn't have the level that I needed at that time. So then I found Kurt Pellegrino, who was part of Ricardo Almeida. Batman. And then, yeah, Kurt started bringing me to Ricardo's, and I, I got close with Ricardo, and Kurt ended up leaving. He had a falling out with Ricardo, and I chose to stay with Ricardo. So then Henzo started training at Ricardo's like for his fights against BJ Penn, when he first fought, when he fought BJ, like Ricardo was Henzo's home base, so that's how I met Henzo. And uh, when you're a part of Ricardo, it was like you're part of Team Henzo, you know? Like that's the way it was back then. So that's how I I took great pride in representing both of those men, you know? And uh, that's how I got to be a part of that team. And you competed in and and have won titles at both Pan Ams, the Worlds. Um, did you always train gi, or were you training gi and no gi pretty early on? I would train both, but I would, I would train like in jujitsu class. Like I would only train no gi and like MMA sessions in jujitsu class. I would, I would keep the gi on until brown belt. Really uh, a lot of gi training on that a lot. There were a lot of people don't know that I did, but I did. And uh, I like the gi. I, the only reason I don't like the gi anymore is like, I don't like people holding me anymore. Like, like no gi. If, if I just, you know, twist my arm a certain way and pull myself way i could get away but with the gi you're like paralyzed and also cleaning the gi every day is a real pain in the ass right like it's very easy to take your no gi stuff and just throw it in the washer but the gi is big and bulky and heavy and you have to take it everywhere and it's just i just got annoyed with it over the years you know i'm not i don't really enjoy it as much anymore so i mean anyone that knows you obviously knows that you've you won the north american adc trials three times and you're you're an active competitor um 
Do you see a lot of people coming into your schools now that are more focused on no gi versus gi 10 years ago based on the fact that guys like Gary Tonin and there's there's just so much more prevalence in the no gi and there's there's finally some money there too with like EBI and all these other events. I haven't had anyone come through my doors recently that want to compete in the gi. When I say recently, I mean go back like two years. Like I don't know. And none of my competitors want to compete in the gi at all. We have gi classes every day, but all my competitors are no gi for sure. Do you think that as we see jujitsu progress more, we're going to get further and further away from gi, or you think it'll kind of live as our own two separate standalones? Because, you know, for a long time, you know, like I trained at Eddie Bravo's and that was the first time that there was like dedicated no gi classes before it was four days a week. Gi. A lot of places did no gi once a week. Um, and now you see guys that, you know, they're opening their own schools doing no gi. I think gi like for a successful martial arts school could always be implemented because a lot of middle-aged people like the gi. Uh, and I, and I think that it does bring a kind of professionalism like that I like, I mean, you obviously could thrive in just the Nogi Academy. For me, I don't, I don't want to walk into, I don't want someone to walk in my Academy with, you know, like a bunch of dudes on the mats with just spats on and like different color rash guards and like, you know, balls hanging out through the spats. Like, I don't like that shit. You know what I mean? Like I want people to walk through my Academy and like see some type of uniformity you know, uh, and it's always there because there's always people in the gi. Uh, but at the same time, even our no-gi classes, like, you know, I, I don't let dudes just wear straight spats. Like, you have to wear shorts over your spats, you know, like stuff like that because I also run a business. And people who don't know, they don't know. So when you get a, a doctor or a lawyer or a, a carpenter to walk through the door and they see a bunch of grown men with, like, these little tights on, that are beating the shit out of somebody. They don't really understand what's going on and it could be very, very intimidating, you know? So I try to, you know, pull the intimidation factor out of it as much as possible because it's, it's already scary. And I just believe that having a gi school, having gi in the academy for me in the area that I'm in surely helps me to be a little bit more, professional and then like not scary rather than just everybody no gi with unicorn spats and and you know tie-dye colored rash guards and it's just like you know it's a little crazy nowadays some of the shit that people wear <laughs> if someone comes into your school and they want to focus on no gi or they want to do mma do you still think it's beneficial to start them in a gi for a certain amount of time or do you go right to a no gi session with them no, you need two stripes to take my no-gi class. So uh, I think starting in the gi kind of forces people for a few weeks to, like, just slow down, just learn some basic fundamental techniques um, and understand, you know, you have to work to get to my no-gi class. And I think the gi is beneficial, man. Like, like, like I do. And, like, I mean, I think more and more now people are just training no-gi. Uh, I don't know if it matters if you train gi as far as no gi. Uh, probably, I mean, I don't think it does because my competitors like are doing very, very well and they don't train in the gi at all. I think before the the difference was like the guys that were winning ABCC and stuff like that are all gi players as well. 
but I think they were just that much better and more advanced than everybody who was just training without the gi. It's not that the gi was making them better. I think just they were better, you know. Uh, but now with the leg locks and and all these different, you know, the, the reaping this and that, like you really cannot get away from that for too long. So what do you think so has it, made what has made you um, such a successful? competitor before we get into your your the mma space and also a successful coach because you coach guys like gary tony was gary your was were you gary's first um instructor for jiu-jitsu yeah gary under me he won the nogi worlds two times at brown belt uh he won the adcc trials well he took second in adcc trials and then he came back and won the adcc trials and then i gave him his black belt and then uh then he started training in the city with John because he he uh, he went to college in Northern Jersey, so it was he, the commute was easier for him to get to the city than it was to me. Uh, I mean, I think the same things that have made me a successful coach have made me a successful competitor, and that's just perfect fundamentals. Like my fundamentals, my fundamental jiu-jitsu is is damn near perfect, you know. And I didn't say everything I do is perfect. I said my fundamentals. Like, it's really hard to. When you to say break fundamentals, when you say fundamentals, like what specifically are you talking about? Guard recovery. Uh, you know, the ability to keep someone in your guard. Uh, the ability to stay on top and not get reversed. The ability to like defend and apply basic submissions, arm bars, triangles, leg locks. Uh, my my submission defense is really really good, you know. Uh, but most importantly, like my positional jujitsu, I have a good understanding of it. Like if I get to side control, I'm gonna stay there. If I have you in my guard, you're you're most likely not gonna pass. If I'm on top, you're not gonna reverse me. Will it happen? Yeah, but for the most part, not really. You know, over my entire career, I've I've uh, I've never been reversed actually. I've never been on top of somebody and been reversed, and 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 I've given up less than twelve. I've given up twelve points entirely in twenty years, you know. So uh, it proves it. It's not just saying it, it, it. It proves it. And I've been submitted two times in hundreds and hundreds of matches, you know. So it's. Uh, I think I just came from such a tough way of training with Ricardo and the guys, and the way it was just a gritty, tough room all the time to where it and, and it fit my life like I, I wouldn't be able to start martial arts nowadays I don't think with the way most people do it like I needed to get my ass beat from day one what kept me in it is what drives most people away you know uh, if people start now and they get their ass beat the first day they, they don't come back for me I got my ass beat the first day and I came back and I came back and I came back so I also think besides really really good fundamentals is my resiliency and uh, my ability to just show up every day. And when my competitors do the same, they'll reach success, you know, to where not everybody has that. Everybody says they want to be great. Everybody says they want to do this, but then they realize life gets in the way and they, they don't live up to the, to the words that, that they, they don't live up to the things they said they wanted to do because it's hard. You know, so showing up every single day is not something they really want to do repeatedly for not a week, not a month, not two months for let's talk about let, let's say your foundation literally has to be showing up consistently for a year straight, you know, a year straight. And then after that year, 
if you want to get out of the novice division and do well, you better show up for another two years straight. Yeah. So this shit is long. It's not easy, you know? When Gary Tonin first walked into your gym, he was green to jiu-jitsu. At what point did you start to realize that this kid was, was something special and that he was going to make the noise that he's made in the uh, MMA and jiu-jitsu space? When I first beat the fuck out of him. I was a 24-year-old kid, and he was an annoying 16-year-old little cocksucker. And he just fucking pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. And I was 24. I was a, I was fighting outside of the school. Like, I was just a fight. I was just the, uh, someone who liked to fight, you know? And I whooped his ass, man, you know? Uh, and he didn't give one fuck. And that entire time when I was beating his ass, in his eyes, I could tell that he wanted me fucking dead. He wanted to beat me so bad, and he didn't... I didn't break him mentally at all. Like, I was better than him, of course. I was bigger than him. I was stronger than him. I was... I knew more than he did. But as far as his pure heart, no, he, he, he couldn't be broken. And that's when I realized he was going to be special if he stayed with it. Yeah. So you think that, that the, the driving force was just that, that, that intangible thing that, like, some guys just, they want it more than other guys? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Most people will think they want it, but they don't. So you, you make a transition from... ADCC and jiu-jitsu, you take your first MMA fight on a week's notice. How long were you training MMA up until that point? No, no, no. My first UFC fight was on a week's notice. My first MMA fight, are we talking about when, when I first, it was like, I took my first MMA fight when I was training for like a month, and then I didn't come back to MMA for years. But after ADCC and stuff, after I won the Worlds, Ricardo made me train as a black belt for a year in MMA before I took my first pro fight. Uh, then I took my first pro fight, and I dominated all my fights. And then I got hurt and pulled out of a fight, but then the UFC called. And I had a week's notice in Sweden, and that's my first UFC fight. Uh, so knowing that, ask her your question again sorry no that's okay so your first ufc fight was on a week's notice what was your your mindset going into that were you excited nervous all of the above confident no i wasn't confident i was fat i was scared i was like out of shape i had a fractured ankle and i was like holy shit this really sucks that i have to go to sweden for my first fight when i haven't trained at all and i had to try to do a few training sessions and I couldn't even make it through three rounds. So I was did... on vacation when they called, <laughs> and I had to leave vacation early. So how did you work through those nerves? Just like I do everything else. I just look at it face to face. You know, I just I run headfirst into it. Like if I'm afraid of heights, I'm gonna climb the tallest building, and I'm gonna look down. I'm gonna. I like to face my fears. I don't like to ignore them. You know, if you ignore your fears, they always just stay there. They linger and they haunt you. When you face your fears, you realize, wait a second, what I'm scared of isn't that scary at all. It's going to come and it's going to go, and it is what it is. So what was I scared of? Was I scared of another human? Was I really scared of another man? Was I scared of getting hurt? Or was I scared of looking bad? Was I scared of falling short in front of thousands and thousands of people? That's what I was scared of. There's no man that could put fear in my heart. Let me fight somebody behind closed doors. I'm not going to be nervous. Who cares? So most of it's but just the moment 
performance anxiety that, more than actual. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, that makes that sense. Make, that makes me nervous. You know, it still makes me nervous to this day. That never goes away. So you had a couple of fights in the UFC. You retired. You came to Bellator. Um, did you want to make MMA a career at one point, or were you like a lot of jujitsu guys that just kind of said, "Well, I make make an extra few bucks and I'll do some MMA," or was that like a driving factor? Like, this is what I want to do with my life. No, I never wanted to do it in my life. It's just something I thought I should do. I never wanted to make MMA a career. Uh, nor do I understand how some people do make it a career. Like, unless you're like, you know, like a Connor or somebody like that. Like, it's very hard to live off your MMA career entirely, indefinitely. You know, and for me, it's like, no, I don't. This is not the what I want to do. That I have to rely on money. I don't want to be taking fights to rely on money, but it's what I should do. You know, my lineage, my the way I felt as a human, the way my family was. Like I like to fight, you know, but it was never a way to live. So you've um, you, you've retired twice, and you recently, I think it was in May, uh, you came out of retirement. And you signed with one championship. How did that come about, and what was the purpose of that? Well, actually, I, I, it was during the pandemic, and I didn't know where my jiu-jitsu academy was going to be. Like, I didn't know if, if, if COVID was going to make everybody just, you know, there was talks of jiu-jitsu just going away, yeah, just dying down and never coming back. And I'm like, fuck, man, I got to change my entire life, and I have kids to feed. So, you know, one offered me a really, really good deal, and I took it because... I was going to be able to make a lot of money. Uh, but then I got hurt, like, right away. I, I, I tore my bicep. Uh, you could see it. Like, it's... Uh, where are you at? Like, it, it's torn. The It got popped. And that was a real terrible injury. And then I came back after that, and then I popped my knee. And I'm like, man, like, I, I just my body doesn't have the like I I could go like I could train hard I'm strong but like I, I seemed like as soon as I started my fight camp like you my body just wasn't responding the way it used to you know and uh I really took it for money that's one thing I did have to like I was like all right MMA might have to be my career and I didn't like the way it felt because I didn't know if jiu-jitsu was going to be around. So that's what happened. And then when I kept getting hurt and it was like, then I realized like, wait a second, my academy is still thriving. Do I really need to fight? Or could I even fight? Like, could my body withstand the camp? You know, and uh, that's why I initially signed with them because I didn't know where COVID was going to bring me. So you're 39 years old, right? Yeah. So how many more years do you think you have as an active competitor in the MMA space, if at any? None. I think I could, but I, I don't have the drive now to do it. Uh, I just don't want to. And I, and I don't know. I, I'm, I feel good. Like, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know because I haven't trained. I haven't sparred. When I train jiu-jitsu, I still feel really, really good. I feel just as fast, just as explosive. But I do feel sore for a few days afterwards. So I don't know. I'm sure I could do decent. You know, I, I, I never let myself get, like, too out of shape or anything like that. 
But uh, but you don't have anything. You never know. The, nothing on the books right now for an upcoming fight. No, man. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I know you say my you body say. was just not healthy. Like as far as like, like I said, I pop. I tore my biceps and I pop my knee. I tore my hamstring. It's like every time I, I tore my hamstring really bad. Uh, my leg was all bruised. You know, it's just like it, I don't know if I could. Uh, so if I was able to train without getting injured, I think I would do just fine. But I don't know if I could do a training session without, like, a camp without getting injured anymore. My body's been through a lot, man. I've been at this for a long time. Yeah. And uh, it catches up to you, you know? Yeah, it beats the shit out of your body, man. It's crazy. <clears throat> What's, yeah. um, you know, you, you stay super busy. And it's funny because we were talking uh, on Instagram a few months back. And you had mentioned you're, you're, you're doing the ADCC trials on the East Coast. And my, my first thought was, Damn, that's crazy. Tom's still competing in the ADCC trials. <laughs> I didn't even realize until like you're posting photos that you're running the ADCC trials. So, um, yeah. you know, obviously running that, you see all these competitors and you've been involved in ADCC and Nogi for so long. What do you think the biggest, um, the biggest uh, piece of advice that you could give someone who's coming up that wants to compete specifically in the trials, getting ready for the trials to, to really maximize their uh, ability to go forward would be? For ADCC rules, yeah. uh, again, get your fundamental jiu-jitsu, your guard recovery, your top game very sharp. Focus on your wrestling. Your back takes have to be on point. Uh, and you have to know the rules in ADCC. They're very tricky. They're not like other rules. you know. So you have to know the rule set, and you have to fight strategically. And you have to keep your mind about you camp and the entire day where you're competing because it's usually a long day to win the trials you know you start in the morning and you end at night and in this one it was two days instead of just one day because we had so many competitors but i think you just have to you know really focus on your jiu-jitsu as you're not going to go in there and just leg lock everybody it's not going to happen you have to be solid everywhere you know and, and and you have to have the resiliency to do more than one match and uh it's hard to score in ADCC. That being said, it's hard to get scored on. So you just have to understand like how to play the rules. And there's some people who go in there and just whoop everybody and dominate, you know, and then there's some people who have to really be careful and, and, and play the rules and work the system, you know? Uh, and that was me. Like as much as I didn't get scored on, like I never had, like, I mean, I've submitted a lot of people, but a lot of my matches I would win by like a sweep in the last minute or like something like that, but that's because that's the game that I played. Like I would stay perfect until it was time to score and then I would score and then I would kind of ride off with that. You know what I mean? So uh, I work the system very, very well. And I think more people need to learn how to do that as well. Do you think there'll ever be a time where the ADCC implements something like the IBJJF does where they have um, like a master's division? Or do you think that there has ever been any talk about kind of with the massive amount of competitors now that we're seeing either adding, expanding divisions or, or changing anything around? Yes and no. Like it was up to me. It was up to Mo. Sure. But like at the end of the day, it goes back down to the Sheik in Dubai uh, and he he wants what he wants, and he puts it on. It's his money. Really can't say shit, you know. So if he changes his mind, yeah. But there's masters divisions sometimes in like local events and regional events. But ADCC itself, will they ever have a world championship with masters divisions? I don't know because 
I don't think they should because ADCC is ADCC, right? So what happens if people have master's divisions and they win an ADCC, they're saying they're ADCC champions or they say they won the trials, but no, no, no. You won the trials in the master's division. You won ADCC in the master's division, you know? So the mystique and, you know, the prestige of ADCC in itself is the fact that when you win the trials, you're the best guy in North America on that day. You're the best competitor in the world on that day. And uh, there's there's no confusion. A lot of people win the Masters division or win a Purple Belt World title or a Blue Belt World title, and they, and they don't mention the belt level that they won in, which they, it's still a huge accomplishment. But I think you should also say, like, I won uh, the Nogi Adult Division Worlds in brown belt division and then i took third in the world two times in the black belt adult division and then i won the masters one 30 to 35 absolute division uh and that was a huge in in the worlds in the nogi worlds and it was a huge accomplishment but i always mentioned that it was the masters one you know like i always mentioned whether it's the adult division and i think in adcc if you don't do that uh it kind of takes away some of the prestige, you know? Oh, um, a guy that you, you do a lot of seminars with and a good friend of yours who's arguably the most prolific grappler that um, we've seen in, in our generation. Uh, Gordon Ryan has signed with one championship and there's talks about him doing MMA. Do we, do you think that we're going to see Gordon inside of a, an MMA fight in the next year or so? No, I don't think you ever will ever. Gordon signed with them to grapple. And, uh, Gordon doesn't need to fight MMA. He makes a lot of money with his DVDs and stuff like that, and I don't think he wants to fight MMA. Well, I think that he. So talked... I don't think we'll actually ever he... see him fight MMA. What about uh, Galvalo? Because I think that he actually said that he would do a fight with Galvalo because of all that crazy craziness that went on. If there's one guy that can put him in MMA gloves, do you think that it's uh, Galvalo? They're going to compete in ADCC uh, in the absolute division. So I don't think they'll ever fight. I mean, personally, I, I think Alvaro's older. You know, he's like my age. Uh, I don't think he wants to fight Gordon in MMA. I don't think Gordon wants to fight MMA. Uh, could it happen if the money's right? Of course. That would be an interesting fight. Galvao's tough, man. You know, even though he got slapped by Gordon, he's still tough. He is one of the best no-gi competitors in history. So it will be that will be a scrap because his game is very conducive to MMA. Like he's very uh, has good takedowns, good pace, everything like that. So how do you but see I that? Don't think how, how do you see that matchup going in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, in the ADCC, do you see that being a, a strategic match where it's just a point-based game? And we're you know you see a lot of guys that aren't really necessarily fighting to win; they're just fighting not to lose, and they're happy winning with the advantage. Whereas a guy like Gordon goes in, he's always looking to submit guys. Do you think that that's going to be a match where Gordon's more tentative, or do you think that uh, Galvalo poses a unique set of of skills that are going to be a more interesting matchup for Gordon? Gordon won't be tentative. Uh, and they both have the style that, like, tries to finish people. Gordon just does it more than Galvao. But uh, Galvao has a frantic pace that breaks everyone. I don't think he'll be able to break Gordon. Gordon will nullify that, and I believe Gordon will win. But I think it still poses an interesting fight for Gordon because if he could not reverse Galvao or submit him, I, you know, and Galvao plays on top the entire time, it's going to be hard to get the decision. But 
I like Gordon's chances against anybody. Ever. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. He's he's beat just about everybody, man. Yeah, he's phenomenal. You know, do you think that like when you're you're on top of the world like a like a Gordon Ryan, and you haven't had a loss in dozens and dozens of matches, does that add to the 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 pressure going into those things, or do you think that that's not something that he really even considers in those matches? No, it's pressure for sure, but. I think there's always pressure, you know. I think he just really also, though, believes in himself. And he knows how good he is. So I think it's hard to really take him off his game as far as, like, getting in his head and shit like that. He's he's a stud, man, you know. Like, technically, he's just, and body physique-wise, he's just really hard to handle. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that ADCC matchup. So that's actually uh, solidified for ADCC with uh, Andre and Gordon because I know that they had talked about they both signed with one championship and there was a little talk about maybe them doing that in one championship, but that matchup is definitely going to happen now in ADCC. Yeah, for sure. That's where it'll happen first. Are you going to go uh, be there in uh, Gordon's corner, or at least bare minimum watching that live? Oh, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be I'm. You know, I ref for them. I, I run the ADCC North America, so I have no choice but to be there. But I don't know if I'll be in Gordon's. Uh, I'll be around. Like, I'll be there. You know what I mean? I don't know where I'll be exactly, but I will be on the floor for sure. Nice, man. Well, if we uh, find you competing anytime soon, will that be something that uh, you're thinking about getting back in the grappling circuit at all? Because I know it's it's hard to quit when you're, you know, when you have that competitive fire like you have. It's when do we decide, all right, no more for me. For me, it's not hard because, you know, I have competitors now, like my, my student Jaden just won the world's a purple belt. Uh, I have some other people coming up that are, that could really, really, like I have my, my girls actually, they, they killed it in the world this year, you know. Uh, Sophia took second in her division, took third in the absolute division. Jaden won her division. I have a student Cameron coming up uh, that could do very, very well kid Burt, who's just a blue belt that could do damage you know so for me i've won everything like the only thing i didn't win that i wanted to win was adcc and that ship has sailed i'm not gonna win adcc now i don't have the dedication to do so and if i were to compete it's going to take time away from my students and i i don't want to take time like i'm very uh passionate now about having my students do well all my time and energy is going into them. So I don't really have the fire to care. Like I'm doing very well in life. You know what I mean? Like my academy is big. I just put out my book. Like I, I don't, I don't need to prove anything, you know? Uh, but I want my students to go out there and win everything. So that's where my focus lies now. Yeah, that makes sense, man. Kind of comes full circle. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. And um, there's a lot of really good, interesting stuff and we'll, get this sliced up together and send you a link and uh, appreciate you hanging out, bro. You ever down in South Florida, I tell everybody, let me know, grab you a beer, coffee, dinner on me. Let me know if you're ever down this way, man, the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. That's a beautiful place to be. I like Fort Lauderdale more than I do Miami, I think. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm actually in a, in a suburb of, uh, of both. I'm like right in the middle, but I teach uh, on Tuesdays at the Henzo's in Fort Lauderdale. So I'm always up and forth, back and forth up there. Whose academy is that, real quick? Uh, it's a uh, it's it's a black belt under it's it's a one off. It's um one of uh, his name's Juan Rodriguez, but he's a black belt under um uh, oh my gosh, I can't even fucking think of his name. Um, 
he owns the Weston Academy. Um, uh, white cat, I can't. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Stand back. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's a black belt of standbacks. Yeah, Juan Rodriguez. I, I taught a seminar at standbacks once. Yeah, yeah. I never met. I never met Stan. He's one of the few people in the Henzo community that because uh, I, I met Henzo back in like '95, man. When I was back when like jujitsu was this weird, crazy sport. I remember the first Henzo seminar that I was at. There were like 60 white belts, three blue belts, and one purple belt. Like nobody could find fucking jujitsu high level guys back in like the late mid late '90s. It was insane, man. But. But that's cool. Hensel's such a great cat. I'm trying to get him on too. He's just schedule so crazy. He's a wild man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's good people. So, well, thanks, man. I appreciate uh, you uh, taking the time, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Talk right. soon, bro. Thanks, bro. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye.